So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. We here on Commons are always trying to make politics interesting and accessible for people who don't always have time to, say, pay close attention to the news every day, who didn't get a poli-sci degree, maybe didn't even go to university at all. The Canada Land Commons team, we're all young people, so of course it makes sense for us to talk to our peers. We've always talked to you guys rather than talking about you or down to you as if you're some niche special interest group, because that's not what young people are. But now that we're in the thick of this election, we decided it's time to talk about youth and politics because, let's face it, our political leadership certainly isn't interested in talking about that. There are issues that specifically impact young people, like student debt, like precarious labor, like the impossibility of home ownership, and these issues aren't being addressed. And, of course, the same old stereotypes always get trotted out. Young people don't vote. They're apathetic. They'll start caring when they pay their taxes, whatever. So we've decided it's time. We're going to talk about young people in politics, all right? We're going to go for it. And don't worry, we're not going to ask you to rock the vote or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Desmond is still away this week. Desmond, love you, brother. I'm Andre Demise, and this is Canada Land Comments. This episode was brought to you by Canadian Journalists for Free Expression. CJFE fights to help defend and protect journalists and free media around the world. Just this past weekend, I asked Executive Director Tom Hennifer about the work they've been doing on behalf of Egyptian-Canadian journalist Mohamed Fahmy. We've been involved in this case since the start. We've been helping to lead the campaign in Canada, the hashtag free AJ staff campaign. So they, he was arrested about a year and a half ago at Christmas, charged on completely spurious charges. He was convicted just yesterday. He's been sentenced to an additional three years and we're fighting to get him out of jail. I've been speaking with him personally. I've been speaking right before I came here to do this. I was speaking with his brother. Um, we're working with his legal team in Canada. The best outcome right now is for LCC, the president of Egypt to give him a pardon, or if he won't give him a pardon, then to deport him so that he can come back to Canada. So we're doing everything we can to push Harper to lean on LCC to get Mohamed Fahmy out of Egypt. And uh, we're doing that by lobbying the government directly, by lobbying the opposition, especially now that they're on the campaign trail. Now's a very good time to pressure the government into action because they refused to move for months and months and months. And the only reason that they did start to support FAMI was because we pushed hard and created a massive grassroots campaign in Canada um, of getting people to contact the government, to sign petitions, to tweet about this and it put so much pressure on the government that they had to act and had to start supporting Fahmy because it simply looked so bad that they didn't. CGFE is a fantastic organization and they do essential work. 
If you want to find out more about them, go to cjfe.org to find out how you can become involved. Membership is 70% off for listeners of Canada Land Commons. Just let them know we sent you when you fill out your form. All right, so we've got two guests joining us this week from beautiful British Columbia. Morgan Baskin is a bona fide young person. She's 20 years old. And when she was 18, she ran for mayor of Toronto in this last election and still fights for youth representation and involvement in politics. Morgan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We've also got Paul Kershaw with us. He's the founder and chair of Generation Squeezed. That's a new national lobby group that seeks to increase the influence of young voters. Paul, do you consider yourself a young person? <laughs> well, we define young in a broad way at Generation Squeeze to include people in their 20s, 30s, and yes, wait for it, 40s. And I turned 41, so I'll let your listeners judge. Okay, I'm just doing the finger quotes thing over here. We're young at heart. All <laughs> Fantastic. Of us. We've been trying to book the federal leaders on this show, and we've been saying to them that, you know, our audience is mostly young and, and very, very diverse. So do you think it really matters to them? And are they really trying to speak to young people? No, I don't think. I don't think it really matters to them. It might matter to them personally, but not in the context of an election when they're trying to win. Um, and I don't think they're trying to listen to young people. And I think that that's clear in that when you look at where they spend their time, when you look at where they do their photo ops, they're not places where young people spend time, right? Like, they're not trying to get on university campuses. They're not hanging out anywhere where there are young people. Their outreach to young people is like the young liberals or whatever. So I, no, I don't think it matters to them. They're sectioning off young people into this separate part of their party where they can sit and stuff envelopes. Okay, so given that voter turnout in Canada has been abysmally low, and this has been true for more than the last 60 years, why do you think that politicians aren't trying to find young voters, especially given that, you know, generally only four in 10 out of us actually go vote? I think that especially around young people voting, we have this line of thought that goes, young people don't vote, therefore young people don't care, therefore they don't matter. We're not added to that list of people they're trying to reach out to because they're trying to get the most votes and not, you know, be a good person. Paul, what do you think? Well, I think that we do matter to them, and we would matter more if we were better organized in advance. It's not simply a question that younger people don't vote, so parties pay less attention to us. It's that we are less organized in between elections, and as a result, we're not building the political clout to even shape the platforms in advance of elections, because that work takes place a year before our campaign. And then, as a result, the platforms don't speak so much to us. And that gives us less reason to, to some degree turn out and vote on voting day, and it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. In terms of having politicians pay more attention to us, those of us in our 20s, 30s, and 40s, we do have to look in the mirror to some degree and say, it's not the case that we don't care, and it's not the case that uh, we're disengaged, uh, but we, we haven't yet made provincial and federal politics work as well for us as we could, and we're certainly not making it work as well for us as, say, our parents and grandparents are. Okay, but consider that we've had the same trends happening, like I said, for over 60 years, where young people generally have a much lower voter turnout. So it's not like it's getting worse. It's been this way all the time. But these young people from 60 years ago have grown up eventually, and then they do go vote. So what is it that changes that actually causes people to get out to the polls? Well, I think voter turnout wasn't as low amongst the younger demographic back in the day, although I haven't checked those stats. I think that the ultimate point that we need to recognize is that politics isn't entirely broken in this country. Politics still responds to those who organize and show up. And 
you know, there are lots of groups that show up in politics. Sometimes it pisses us off. Sometimes it's a lobby group for big oil or big tobacco or big pharmaceutical company. And then we think, oh, lobbying's nasty because that just is about getting something for shareholders, not citizens. But that's why I really like the example of something like the Canadian Association of Retired Persons, which has been organizing Canadians 15 and older for decades. And they're getting big wins. We can point to in the most recent federal budget, they got their tax-free savings account expanded. And it's disproportionately older folks who use those. They got more money for medical care. They're getting parties to talk more about guaranteed income supplement for retirees. And so that should inspire us that, hey, younger demographic, if we were equally well organized, we could get major solutions to big problems like, wow, I got larger student debt. It's harder to afford a home. I can't find child care. And wow, how do I save for retirement or make this planet sustainable? There are solutions to that. Tons of technical policy solutions that academics have found. There just isn't yet the political will to put them in place. And to some degree, that's because younger Canadians like myself haven't yet built that political will. Morgan, why do you think it is that young people don't vote in higher numbers? Um, I think young people don't believe in the system. When I speak to my own, you know, my own friends who, for most of whom, I'm the only person they've ever voted for and the only election they've ever voted in, they don't care about parties. It's not that they don't care about the issues. It's not that they don't care about public transit. It's not that they don't care about the environment. It's that when you talk about Justin Trudeau or when you talk about, you know, the Liberal Party, they don't care. And if they do care, they care in a way that thinks that those things are inherently broken and inherently corrupt. And when you when you look at the numbers, there's a great Samara study on this, actually. Young people are involved. In fact, we're pretty much at the same rate as um, party, card-carrying party members in kind of things like signing petitions and going to protests and, you know, sending emails to whoever important needs an email sent to them to get something done. But when it comes to voting and party involvement, there's this huge drop-off. And for me, that tells me that there's not a problem with young people and there's not a problem with young people being involved in politics in the wider sense, that there's a problem with parties and that there's a problem with our electoral system that is not working for young people. And so those things need to change, not young people. So what you're saying is it's not that the young people aren't politically engaged, it's that they don't trust that the parties will do what they say they're going to do. Exactly. There's a lot of kind of vibe from most of the young people that I know that that's just one pile of bullshit and I'm going to get more done, you know, signing petitions or involved on campus or going to protest and that that's going to work better than trying to involve myself in this very broken system. I actually think that's one of the ways in which younger Canadians have been a bit duped by the system. And Morgan's right that most most of us in our 20s, 30s, and 40s, and heck, I even think some older folks too, think that politics is broken, that this system has to some degree become so corrupt that it isn't doing things anymore, and that maybe the noble thing for us to do is to simply opt out of it and let it do its thing, and we'll find other ways to solve problems. I think Morgan is really, really hitting the nail on the head in terms of that attitude. So we've kind of got a cultural context where it's become more appropriate to make a politician a punchline of some joke rather than a person to respect. And then when we opt out, we just think that, okay, politics, because it's broken, it's not going to do anything for or against us. Uh, and, and it'll just carry on and, and somehow benignly is not going to cause us any problems. But that's actually the rub. Politics is not entirely broken in this country. Politics still responds to those who organize and show up. And if a younger demographic is less likely to show up, then politics responds disproportionately to 
others. And so a generation ago, we had like one in three seniors in this country who were poor, but we built our medical care system and we built our old age security system. So people don't go bankrupt when they wind up at a hospital and they don't go uh, broke uh, over a period of retirement because we built some pretty impressive public policies and people are still standing up for those policies day in and day out today. And those policies continue to do something like for my hundred year old grandmother, make sure she has as much dignity uh, in terms of her health and her financial well-being as is as possible at the age of 100. That's not politics being broken. That's politics doing some pretty magically impressive things. The problem is a younger demographic doesn't get told those things very often, and we don't see it very often because we've got this context where we're so frustrated, and rightly so, with the Senate scandal and, and uh, you know, the former mayor of Toronto is a bit of a buffoon, and, uh, you know, people charging 16 bucks for a glass of orange juice when they go to some conference. And so we then think that's reason enough for us not to tune into politics, and then, okay, by not doing so, that's all right. But then politics marches forward, and it spends... Thirty-three dollars to $40,000 per person over 65 and less than $12,000 a year per person under 45. And it doesn't say we need to urgently adapt, you know, for the, for the air and the water and the earth, that those of us in our 20s, 30s, and 40s are still going to be breathing in 2050 when people have some pretty dire predictions about global warming. I think that there's a societal attitude difference between the way seniors and adults are treated by society at large, not just by government, and the way we talk about young people. And I think that that is part of the problem, is that when seniors organize, there's more compassion, or I perceive that there's more compassion towards that. Whereas when I start to talk about young, young people's issues, especially to people who are older, you know, people in their 40s and 50s and 60s, a lot of the attitude I get is like, just sort your shit out. Stop asking for handouts. Just handle yourself. Like, we all did it. Just handle yourself. And I think that the attitude towards young people is so different. And we talk about the problems that young people have often as if they're trivial. And like, oh, well, paying for school, you'll just, like, go into debt and then you'll deal with it later when you're older. Except later when you're older is when you'll, you know, be working freelance jobs and have, you know, whatever three-month contract once in a while. Not when you'll have your, you know office somewhere, right? And I think that that's something we we don't necessarily talk about. We act as if young people can follow the same roadmap our parents did, and that's just not a reality for most of us. Um, Morgan's absolutely right. Like One of the challenges facing those of us in our 20s, 30s, and 40s is that there is a cultural milieu that which is tend to portray some myths about us, like we're lazy, um, we're <clears throat> more consumerist than anyone else, we're so entitled, we're whiny. Here are the facts. The typical 25 to 34-year-old today makes thousands of dollars less for full-time work than did the same age person in 1976. They make thousands less for full-time work, even though they devoted years more to post-secondary and taken on, wait for it, larger student debts for the privilege. And then after going to school longer to take jobs that pay less and less often have generous pension plans, they then have to do the most amazing thing pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for the privilege of trying to live in an average home. And in our cities, average homes are more often condos with a balcony rather than small homes with a yard. So there has been a fundamental socioeconomic deterioration facing younger Canadians, meaning that hard work doesn't pay off in the same way that it did in the past. And one of the things that we need to do is 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, and 40-year-olds in terms of organizing is making the broader country be aware of this reality and do that sort of myth-busting so that at Thanksgiving, we don't have that grumpy uncle saying, oh, suck it up. We had it hard, too. And they did. They had to work hard, but hard work paid off in the past, and we can showcase that at a Thanksgiving dinner such that next time the uncle can't be so down grumpy.
Morgan, what do you think? What are the most important issues that you feel that young people face now? Um, I think for me, the biggest one, the biggest ones are around housing, education, and precarious employment, like around jobs. There's this imaginary roadmap that you'll, you know, you'll graduate high school and you'll go to university and you'll take on a little bit of debt and you'll leave and get your job and it will all work out for you. For me, debt and our inability to pay it off is kind of the legacy of this education model that we currently have and it's turning into our inability to pay for houses and all of those things so for me it boils down to housing education and precarious employment and careers yeah so those are all big issues that gen squeeze features as part of our efforts to build club for younger canadians and then we add a couple of others uh, because one of the implications of starting off with larger student debts and getting jobs that pay less and the precarity that Morgan's talking about is that people are also struggling to establish their financial foundations. And what happens then is they delay. They delay doing a couple of other really important things, not least of which is often starting families they might otherwise like. And so, you know, a generation ago, it was in their early 20s where the typical young woman in this country was having her first baby. Well, now it's close to 30. Like, that's a massive adaptation. One of the reasons Gen Squeeze combines 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, and 40-year-olds all together under one big tent is that as we want to talk about the generations raising young kids, well, you're just as likely now to find someone in their 40s with a preschool-age kid as you are someone in their 20s. Oh, my God. I just realized I'm childless at 35. Thank you for that. (laughs) You don't get enough credit for like That's a major adaptation compared to the past, this delaying of starting our families, and one that really does... Uh, compromise people's overall well-being because when you poll people and ask them what most makes them happy, most people will actually say the people they wake up with in the morning in their homes and people will point to, you know, the kids they have is so vitally contributing to their sense of well-being. You know, Canada is becoming a place where it's actually harder to start and have time with the family that uh, so many, like nine and 10 young people still want, like that's a fundamental deterioration. So that's why Gen Squeeze adds to what Morgan said in terms of school debt, housing, and precarious employment. We talk about, you know, being able to afford a family, doing all that while still hopefully being able to plan for your own retirement down the road, and then combining all of those things in a context where we live more sustainably and leave at least as much as we inherited for the next generation. So what do you think about the uh, the idea that, well, since young people don't pay taxes, they don't really have any skin in the game, therefore they don't vote? Ugh. Rubbish. They pay taxes. Yeah, that's all. I get so angry about that. Young people do pay taxes, obviously. First of all, everyone pays sales tax, so obviously we pay some taxes. Um, and Yeah, but Morgan, you're a student. You don't earn an income. You don't pay income tax because you don't have a job. Of course I have a job. Like, my school costs money. <laughs> I have no idea how I'm going to pay for my next year of school. And I've filed income taxes for the last, you know, four years. Most young people I know file income taxes. We definitely have skin in the game. I would add to that... Um, if we're going to have a conversation about taxes, then we really need to have an intergenerational conversation about taxes because one of the, the biggest absorption of our tax dollars is our medical care system. And medical care is very different from our Canada public pension. So just really quickly, when people pay into Canada public pension, they're partly prepaying for what they'll eventually take out when they're older. But in medical care, it's completely different. We just pay for whoever is using medical care today, like my 100-year-old grandmother. So in other words, what we have is an aging population right now that is a big group of people, and they got used to paying primarily for medical care of a small group of seniors ahead of them. 
Now, medical care has a big group of people wanting to draw on it because we draw on medical care disproportionately when we're older. And we have a bunch of younger people coming up behind them. And it, what that's going to mean is younger people are going to end up paying partly for the medical care of their parents and grandparents and entirely for their own medical care over their lives. Whereas their parents and grandparents will only pay a portion of the medical care that they are likely to use. And that is one of the biggest intergenerational conversations around taxation that we probably should be having. So given that we have two people in this conversation who tried to be uh, young politicians, what do you think of the idea, especially, you know, talking about uh, compassion and understanding what young people are going through? What do you think of the idea that we need more young politicians? I think it's incredibly important. I think that I think that our elected representatives need to represent who is living here and not just who citizens, but who is living here and Currently, that is completely not the case. And I think that it's so important that we have young people in government because government makes decisions for young people. And if young people are not in the room, if young people are not able to kind of talk about what we need and what we want, we're not getting anywhere. Yeah, and I would add, though, what we need is young people uh, as MPs and MLAs who are also aware of the age distribution of spending and some of the generational implications of policy decisions. So let me give two examples about why that's important. First, at the federal level, in the last federal election in Quebec, we had that orange crush play out where we swept into official opposition many young uh, MPs. Interestingly, though, if you look right now at the federal dynamic, the party that's most likely to grow the gap in spending between old and young in ways that disadvantage the young, it happens to be the NDP because of some of their traditional takes on how to grow medical care spending. And so one of the things that I think we missed out as an opportunity as young people is to actually bring to the attention of all those young official opposition MPs how things are playing out not so favorably with for younger de- demographics with the status quo. And the second example would be the Alberta election that happened recently, which again swept in a large group of young NDP MLAs, and it did capture a lot of younger voters, it seems, disproportionately in that province, voting for that party, and that's all great and good and wonderful. But one of the ironies is, again, that party's commitment to medical care grew the gap in spending between old and young faster than any other party was talking about doing. And so we need MLAs and MPs that are young people, but then we need the conversations that that those people are part of to increasingly feature the realities of how things are working out intergenerationally and sometimes how there's not such a great generational deal in the way that we are organizing our public policy. And so we need young, really well-informed MPs. I think we need really well-informed MPs in general. (laughs) I, I would argue that it's not currently the case. Are there any politicians right now that are speaking to young people's issues? Is, is there somebody that you can say, hey, this person actually you know, understands what we're going through? Uh, well, one of the things Jen Squeeze has focused on in the year in advance of the election is to talk about uh, the squeeze on families. And all of the parties have added uh, for 2015-16 somewhere between 3 and $6 billion a year in new spending. That is not pocket change. It's not enough. And some of it's not being spent that wisely. But I think all the parties deserve some credit for actually acknowledging that this is a problem and starting to focus more attention there. At JenSqueeze.ca, we're going to be uh, following 
following all the party announcements. And, you know, if you're trying to think about who to decide to vote for in the last week, check our website out because we'll have information about paying down student debt, uh, you know, finding a good job, uh, you know, affording a home, affording a family, planning for retirement and leaving at least as much as we inherited. And we'll, we'll organize uh, platform information along those themes. Morgan, do you think there's anybody out there? Uh, not that I know of. And I, and I appreciate that the parties talk a lot about families. Um, but they talk about that in really kind of sanitized ways, right? Like they talk about your middle class mom and dad and two kids kind of that need childcare, which is fine. I assume those people need childcare, but that's not the reality of all families. So no, there's currently no politicians in this country that I'm feeling particularly uh, cheerful about in regards to young people. Um, we do actually have a, a lot of young people that have uh, put their name in the ring as candidates and have won nomination contests, but then they end up getting deep sixed by social media posts from not that long ago. So, for example, uh, and I'm, I apologize if I get this wrong, but there's Ala Buzreba, um, a liberal from uh, from Alberta. Uh, there's Morgan Wielden from the NDP. Uh, there's uh, Deborah Drever, a name that a lot of people know uh, from the uh, the Alberta election, and she was an, uh, she used to be an NDP caucus member. And what happens is that, uh, you know, they, they come out with um, social media posts from several years ago. The opposition does some research and finds out what they might have said when they were, you know, 16, 17 years old. And that ends up sinking uh, either their candidacy or their political careers. So what do you think of this idea that you have a, a lot of young politicians who are facing so many more risks to get involved? I, I mean, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um... <laughs> Morgan feels incriminated. <laughs> well, you know, I've talked about this, you know, in a couple places already. And, you know, when I decided to run, I went through everything. And my I got Facebook when I was 13 years old. And we need to accept the fact that 13-year-olds, 16-year-olds, every we're still they're still teenagers, even if all of that's being documented. We have to accept that people grow up on social media and that it's a part of people's adolescence. It's not separate. You can't expect someone to not be 13 on social media if they want to be a politician. At Sorry, I have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> the fact that we're going through things from when someone was a minor and calling it politics, like, that's weird. I get that. And the last question I have for you guys. So, I mean, we talked about, like, what is it that politicians need to do in order to uh, to get young people involved or to speak to young people's issues. But what is it that young people can themselves do to force politicians to pay attention to issues and to enact policies that benefit us? Yeah, I mean, so oftentimes uh, people say, like, you know, well, what, you know, one one vote, one voice, what can what difference can that make? Um, but when one voice joins another and joins another and suddenly you're thousands and then you're tens of thousands and then you're hundreds of thousands, well, then you rival, uh, you rival something like the Canadian Association of Retired Persons, which has over 300,000 members, which makes them as large as any political party in the country, which is precisely why all the parties are paying attention to them. And so even if we come together and we build for ourselves a big tent organization like the Canadian Association of Retired Persons, well, then, you know, the, the change maker in all of us can come out on a grand national scale. You know, you know, we watch the movies like Lord of the Rings or The Hunger Games and, you know, Frodo, he didn't start out wanting to be some big change maker and save his community and, and neither did Katniss Everdeen, but the circumstances came forward and suddenly, you know, they were front and center. 
but they didn't do it all on their own. There were certain moments when, you know, they got some help from a mentor or some special, you know, tour, like that fancy bow Katniss gets, or, you know, Frodo, he got to use the, uh, you know, the one ring to rule them all occasionally. Um, and, you know, in many respects, if we build a powerful organization to lobby, it can, it can be like the one ring, it can be like that bow, because it can make us in, in certain moments just as powerful as any other, uh, any other company in the country and powerful enough to protect medical care and old age security for our parents and grandparents, and also to adapt policy to uh, ease the squeeze for time, money, services, environmentally on younger people, literally saving us tens of thousands of dollars when we're young people, with which we could pay down our student debt, afford a home, uh, you know, afford a family, and plan for retirement, all while leaving at least as much as we inherited. We can all do that, and it just takes some straightforward planning in advance and getting together and from coast to coast, thousands and thousands and thousands of us. I agree, and I, but I would also say that in the short term, bang on the door, like call up your MP or whoever's running in your riding, ask them as many questions as possible, you know, ask about your education, talk about what your financial realities are, ask about housing for young people, ask about what they're doing about precarious employment, how they're, you know, figuring out how young people can take the first step towards a career and not just how they're going to get a young people a job tomorrow. You know, all of those things that really matter to you. Do you take public transit? Ask about public transit. Do you care about the environment? Ask what they're doing for the environment. All of those bits and pieces. And I would also say that anything that matters to you at all, that the government has even the tiniest hand in, talk to them about it. Ask them questions. You know, take up their time. Make yourself important to them. Ask people running for office, did you know we spend... Uh, about thirty-three dollars to $40,000 per person over 65, and a fraction of that, less than $12,000 per younger person. Did you know that? If so, what are you going to do to narrow that gap by investing more in younger people? Will you commit your party to, you know, to make sure each year the budget federally breaks down how we spend money by younger and older persons? So each year we can have a conversation. Are we finding the right balance? Uh, these are some really systematic things that we can get uh, governments to do, which then lays the groundwork to say, hey, maybe we could invest more in housing for younger people or in post-secondary education or in family policy or in the environment. Paul Kershaw, Morgan Baskin, thank you so much for bringing some attention to this issue. Yeah, it's been great. Great to meet Morgan online, too. <laughs> you, too. Thank you for having us. That's our show for this week. Just want to make a quick note before I go into the credits, and that's that we're going into our fifth week of this election, and we still have no commitment from any of the federal leaders to have a conversation with our listeners on this show. Guys, come on, let's pick it up, please. There are a lot of young people that want to hear from you, that are interested in politics, that want to be engaged, and are looking for a reason to vote. So come on the show and answer some questions already. Our show was produced this week by Imogen Burchard, and music as always by Nathan Burley. If you'd like to continue the conversation, and we highly suggest you do, you can search us on Twitter. Just search Canada Land Commons, it'll be the first result you find. You can also email us, Andre at CanadaLandShow.com and Desmond at CanadaLandShow.com. The Canada Land Show website is CanadaLandShow.com. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please chip in. That's Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Show us some love. Give us that five-star rating. Give us a review so we can beat Jesse's tail. The next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts will be back on Thursday, and Canada Land Commons returns next week Tuesday. Until then...
me how to dug it. Teach me how to dug it. Teach me how to dug it. Teach me how to dug it. Everybody looking. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. What? This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer.